0: This is Smart Women, Smart Power, a podcast that features conversations with some of the world's most
1: powerful women. The importance of having role models, mentors, champions is hugely important. We feature women who are breaking barriers and shaping
0: the future of foreign policy, national security, international business, and development. I'm Beverly Kirk, the director of the Smart Women, Smart Power Initiative at the Center for Strategic and International Studies in Washington. The U.N. General Assembly, known as UNGA, opened on September 24th, and this year, member states are reviewing the progress being made on the 17 Sustainable Development Goals, or SDGs. Over the summer, Smart Women, Smart Power partnered with CSIS's Project on U.S. Leadership in Development to host a Chevron Forum on SDG 5, Gender Equality. The discussion focused on challenges to inclusion that women face in developing countries. It also looked at progress being made toward achieving gender equality and global empowerment of women and girls. Joining me were Zoe Dean-Smith, Vice President, Economic Empowerment and Entrepreneurship at Vital Voices Global Partnership, Ambassador Mathilde Mukantabana, Ambassador of Rwanda to the United States. Joanna Neseth Tuttle, Executive Director of the Niger Delta Partnership and CSIS Nonresident Senior Associate, and Astri Van Dyke, Senior Counsel at Google. We'll start with a few general questions here uh, and uh, any opening comments that you guys might like to uh, uh, to make. Uh, and I'll start here immediately to my uh, left with Zoe uh, with the first question. What has really worked for improving global empowerment of women and girls?
1: Well, I think we, we've heard a lot of statistics about closing the gender gap and um, how um, sort of the global GDP would improve if uh, women had more access to finance, et cetera. Um, I'm gonna be sort of speaking from a very granular level and uh, sharing what we've learned at Vital Voices working with more than 800 women entrepreneurs from about 80 countries around the world. One of the first things that we have learned, which is probably um, in direct opposite to a lot of the approaches that are being taken at the moment, is that scale doesn't always work. Trying to reach tens of thousands of women isn't always a sort of a long-term sustainable solution. And so uh, we focus particularly on a deep investment in women who are running fabulous enterprises, social enterprises around the world. And we know that that's going to be a long-term investment in them and it'll have a huge positive impact in their communities. Uh, Another thing uh, around the sort of accessing finance piece is that we all know that women face a a lot more challenges than men do in accessing finance. But we kind of feel that it goes beyond um, training someone how to pitch for funding and how to develop that business plan for funding. We feel there should be more of a a focus on operations. Once they've got that money, how do they actually manage it? How do they manage that long-term scalability and sustainability? We know that women have a lot of uh, difficulties in sort of changing their mindset as they grow their businesses from being the founder of that business to becoming actually the CEO of that business. So focusing on the the capacity building of them to run their organizations better is another great, great lesson that we've learned. That the more they know how to manage their staff, to think about succession planning, about empowering their staff complement, the longer that sustainable solution will be. And then also um, belonging to a network of supporting women, you know, um, providing women with the opportunity to talk about their their business goals and challenges, but then also what what they're facing in real life, giving that opportunity to talk about perhaps they're in a difficult marriage and is somebody else also in that same situation. Feeling like they belong and they can share that kind of thing and that none of them are alone on their own, stuck in that situation is really, really helpful. Um, I think that's probably... uh, a good starting a good point. Start, a good starting point. Ambassador
2: McAntobana. Thank you so much for convening this meeting. Again, SDGs and how we relate to SDGs uh, are a benchmark to measure what the country was doing already for the empowerment of women. Ours was intentional from the beginning. Uh, and when I talk about from the beginning, uh, there was a time our country died. So we can really mark our historical development uh, starting 25 years ago. When we started and we were trying to resurrect the country that had collapsed, a million people had died, three million people had left. There was nothing functioning, whether it was an institution, whether it was the state, there was nothing. So when we set the vision for recovery and for reconstruction, the empowerment of women was central. Was central, but it was a part of a bigger vision of empowering all the people because there was a the centrality of our people to be able to recover from what happened in our country. So it was intentional, uh, it was um, enshrined in our constitution, and it was also uh, implemented through many different measures whether it was uh, to include women in politics, to include women in economic life, uh, to end or to fight against gender-based violence, all these things were there. But it started by really removing or trying to remove the structural barriers that were holding women away from participation. And if you look at that, for instance, if you look at our constitution in 2003, you'll find that uh, for the first time, women were included in inheritance, they were included in uh, property owning, in uh, citizenship, uh, format, So, there are many different things that were put first in the legal framework and then implementation followed. And that was made possible by creating programs, educational programs, uh, economic programs, and so on and so forth. So, SDGs came to help to benchmark our progress for, from this kind of global perspective. So, I, I think I'll leave it there for now. Thank you.
3: Well, good afternoon everyone. It's such a great audience to see so many people who are interested in this topic. And Beverly, thanks to all of the work that you all have done on the SDGs. The conversation about the SDGs in Washington has really not been very robust. It's been so active in other in other governments and in other countries. And um, I would commend you all and Dan Rundy, who worked with Amina Mohammed very early on to socialize the concept around these big, sprawling, ambitious goals that were coming into being. Um, And I think this series is a really interesting way to sort of deepen that conversation and talk about how you actually pursue those goals and achieve them and, and measure them and think about them. So I'm here in two roles. I'm I'm actually a late minutes a last minute substitute. So I'm here representing Chevron. Um, I've, I come from a background with Chevron's corporate responsibility team and worked on developing the, our SDG strategy um, in the early days of the SDGs. But today, currently, I'm the executive director of the Niger Delta Partnership Initiative, where we have a number of programs in the Niger Delta, working with um, small with farmers, with business service providers. We have a real focus on mainstreaming gender. So I can talk a little bit more about Chevron's and pro- Approach and a DPI's approach.
4: Great. Well, thank you very much, uh, Beverly and CSIS and Chevron for organizing this. I'm really excited to be here to talk about the role of technology in particular in advancing the SDGs, which at Google we believe are very important. Um, at Google, we believe when women have equal access to information um, and opportunity, anything is possible. And women will create economic growth for themselves and also for the world. You've, you've heard the stats on GDP growth. Google's basic business is access to information. Um, Hopefully you know our main product, we're a search engine. Um, And for 20 years our mission has been to deliver relevant, reliable information. And this means that a woman in a village in Rwanda can have the same access to information that a student at Georgetown can have or at Cambridge or Oxford. And that's just completely changed the world, that access to information. Um, And in a way that we think will help women. Um, so the first way that Google approaches gender equality is through our products. Um, technology is on the internet, for better or worse, and for many, and we believe much more better, um, is the ultimate equalizer and disruptor of traditional hierarchies. Um, it's a way for voices that have not been heard before to reach the world, for businesses to be created that could never have been created before you. Um, and so this is everything from search, YouTube, which is part of Google, but also Pinterest or um, apps where people can create businesses from their homes um, and make their voice heard. I just wanna, I'll ta- I'm happy to talk about economic growth or many of the ways that Google uh, partners with others on digital skills and trainings and leadership and entrepreneurship, but I did wanna just give two examples of how technology and the internet in particular have already been advancing the goals of uh, gender equality. The first is the Me Too movement, which I think is one of the first sort of internet movements um, of women's voices. And what's really striking about it is how global it is. And I think um, that is, is really due to the internet. We do, a Google Trends, um, you can see how many people are searching Me Too. And consistently, Those searches are coming up in 196 countries. People all over the world are searching this, which is just an incredible door that the internet opened to have all of these voices heard. Um, The second example I wanted to highlight is uh, something that Google did in partnership with UN Women around International Women's Day earlier this year, which is um, that we partnered with UN Women to feature 10 what we call YouTube creators there uh, that's our term for the YouTube stars that have millions of followers and um, uh, and monetize the content that they create on YouTube and we chose about 10 of them with UN Women to feature to lift up the goals of the F- SDGs in particular. Um, so I think that that I wanted to start by highlighting our products and but there are many things with tag whether it's payments or the App Store, YouTube, to talk about. So thanks.
0: Astri, thank you. Uh, I'm going to stay with you sure. uh, and uh, follow up on it because you raised the issue of tech and access. But sure. there is a gender divide, a digital sure. gender divide. Can sure. you talk about that and how Google is working to yes. reduce that?
4: Sure. It is, um, I think that's true. I think that, as I said, it's been, technology and the internet have been this great equalizer, um, but there's no question that tech is a field where, whether it's the number of women working at Google or the women in computer science, the numbers are, uh, there are more men in the field um, and more um, and, and I don't think those stats hold up for sort of men using our products, but but in terms of the field. Um, and we have a lot of work to do on on that uh, challenge, on closing that, and making sure that our mission, which is to provide information to everyone, I mean, that's part of Google's business mission statement, that our definition of success is if our products are inclusive and benefiting everyone, um, includes, of course, are those gender goals. Our, um, we have a lot to do, in, I think, in terms of partnership. I think that there's a lot we can learn from others, um, like Vital Voices, other companies, from governments. Um, I think that one of the things that we have found, uh, Google started something called Made with Code, We partner with a lot of coding organizations focused on women, um, but Made with Code was our own program to get girls to find coding fun. I actually just got back last night from Estonia, where I was um, with 20 Google engineers and the U.S. State Department and the U.N. teaching high school girls from five countries, including the U.S., but also Estonia, Poland, Georgia, um, and Latvia, to... Uh, to program. And one of the most striking factors we find is um, more girls go into computer science. The the factor that gets them to go into computer science more than any other is that someone they know suggests they do it. And so that network of uh, relationships, whether that's a peer or a teacher, um, suggesting it all of Google and Google Google's very good at data and very good at research we have found consistently that is the most significant factor to get girls to enter into computer science so the networks um, these programs are really have a big impact but there's a lot of work we need to do for sure and one the other thing I want to say about the gender divide I mean I think the future what we're going to be talking about with technology in five years is we don't even know. I mean, Snapchat—we didn't know existed until a couple of years ago. We were talking about email when Google started. That's not really what we talk about anymore. I think what Google is very committed to too is um, what is the future of technology and what are the processes that we can build in pl- have in place to make sure that it benefits everyone. So, artificial intelligence, which my CEO would say is going to have a bigger impact on the history of humanity than the discovery of electricity in terms of the benefits, but also the change, um, which would have tremendous health benefits, education benefits, um, that hopefully will disproportionately benefit women, but, um, but uh, that we have, I spend a lot of time on the ethics around that and having in the product design phase attention to making sure that algorithms don't discriminate, they don't reinforce hierarchies um, and that there's a lot of work to do on that and looking ahead.
0: Astrid, thank you. Uh,
4: Joanna, if I can ask you to put on your
0: Chevron hat. um, I'd like you to talk about um, Chevron's approach to gender equality and how empowering women uh, improves productivity.
3: Stealing, I'm going to start by stealing something that we heard over lunch today, which is the fact that gender equality, its the, the goal is not about economic empowerment, that's a piece of it, but it's much broader. And gender equality really is going to map to every single uh, sustainable development goal. So thinking about it through all of those lenses is really important. So I'll talk a little bit, I'll kind of go in layers, I'll, I'll talk a little bit about sort of Chevron as a company and what gender equality means and some of the steps underway. Um, Then I'll talk a little bit about what we're doing in our communities through our partnerships and programs and then finally just sort of on a global basis um, How things are looking? So Chevron as a company. I think it's important just to think about why this matters Um, the company has really been on a journey but taken a very renewed focus on diversity and inclusion in the workforce and in our activities and and the, the best explanation I can give you for that, why that's so important and why gender equality matters in that in that rubric is that uh, if you look at how decisions are made, and I was quoting a, an article in the Washington Post about women on corporate boards, it came out in the business section on Sunday, it talks about really the best decision making comes from the most diverse set of actors and stakeholders. If you do not have a diverse set of stakeholders around the table, you can't solve problems can't make prob- you can't make plans you can't really effectively innovate your way into the next phase of your company or your business or your community so having an increased number of women in the boardroom and women in the workforce and women's voices coming up through the pipeline is really really critical for that reason and and for other reasons as well so Chevron's been um, working toward this goal we we have gotten increased numbers of women so I, w- I would Note that sort of my function around external affairs has a lot of women. Some of the engineering functions have fewer women, so we're really looking at some of the pipeline issues around that and promoting leadership and capabilities for women. Uh, We've also looked at the other 50% of the population of, of men and uh, have mark chapters men advocating for real change, just bringing men into the conversation as well. You cannot have an impact in the community if you leave out half of the the population. So bringing everybody together to talk about what that change looks like and to be um, supportive of those those changes and that impact. Um, then moving to the community, a, a big issue really is a pipeline. I, I think what you're saying, Astrid, about Finding out from someone about a tech career is a really critical driver for getting into a career for young women. So chevron has been a very, very active supporter of STEM education, especially in the United States, as well as Thailand and Kazakhstan and other countries where we operate. But um, TechBridge, Girls, and other partnerships are really focusing on women in the engineering pipeline and we also have women's economic empowerment initiatives in Latin America, in Myanmar, um, and looking at build, building women into our programming. And in the Niger Delta Partnership Initiative, uh, where, where I'm spending my time now, we have gender mainstream across all programs. And I can talk a little bit more about that maybe in a follow-up question, what that looks like and how we charted that path. And how we stay on that path. Uh, and then finally, from a global level, um, just I think we're trying to foster a dialogue and advocate for continued dialogue. We've got a partnership that Google is also um, part of are uh, called Women Rule. It's a partnership with Politico to really advance a conversation about women's issues and women's initiatives. And we try to participate in, in initiatives like that to really focus on community programs, but then also a policy and a broader level dialogue because. Pushing these conversations forward and having more voices involved is a really critical part of seeing those goals take hold. So I'll, I'll pass that to you, to the ambassador. Next.
0: Yes, Ambassador Mukantabana, talk, uh, expound upon that, but I also want to raise another question with you. Uh, I'm sure lots of people in the audience, both here and online, uh, are aware that Rwanda's parliament is more than 50% women, uh, and that's quite, an accomplishment uh, that hasn't happened in in many uh, more established uh, Western countries. Uh, how, how did that happen uh, and uh, what are some lessons that can be taken
2: from what Rwanda has been able to do? It's true Rwanda I think is the highest now in women in representation in the parliament and for us again uh, I have to go to the political philosophy of people-centered politics that studied 25 years ago, that oh, we have to account and be accountable to our people. So uh, one of the things I-, I needed to say is that uh, there are three things. One is that representation is essential. People have to be seen and heard. And pe- women have to be on forum for women issue to be promoted. You can't talk about women equality when other people, when they are not on the table. And for that to happen, they have to be represented, they have to be in positions when they are able to push the agenda, not just for to come in a conference and then leave and we talk about women and so on and so forth. But for us, again, uh, it was a historical development, but at the same time also to show it, this was not uh, granting any power based upon Kora. There are two things that came together. Number one, there was a political will to do so. It was enshrined in our constitution. It was in our political philosophy. It was on the vision for the country. If you read the vision 2020, that was a blueprint on how Rwanda was going to develop. You find the centrality of women empowerment. So it was there already. So the rest was also that those women were working. They were expanding their own sphere of influence because of what they were doing they were effective and it started by just going from the simplest even just holding a nation together that was bleeding in very different circumstances i can give you one example Uh, if you look at one of the most important associations in rwanda the association for widows of genocide most of them you know who have HIV, but they have a very strong organization because we said, You are not going to die. We needed to tend to communities. We needed to look in the eyes of the children of rape, love them, reconcile them, and they are part of a community. So it went through hardship, but they performed and they kept our country together. So it's not, they are agents. The women were agents throughout, they were not subjects where, where the power came to them. But at the same time, we find that kind of, uh, you know, really uh, harmonized way of uh, blending political will plus what women were doing themselves. So we expanded. Yeah, we can always go to see how we got it to 64%, then we got it to 61%, then initially we started with 30%, but women were performing very well. And there's a generation, and when we talk about women, and someone raised it during our lunch, about also talking about men. Men also are expanding in their understanding there's a new generation in our country that understands that women empowerment benefits everyone. It's not just for women, it's not for the benefit of women, it's for the benefit of community, for the economy, for anything that you are talking about. So it's comprehensive. And before I move to Zoe, I just want
0: to follow up on the point that both you and Joanna made about men as allies. Uh, Do do the conversations about women's economic empowerment or women's empowerment in general and gender equality, um, how do you help men understand that it's not about leaving them out? It's about including women.
2: Do you want to begin?
0: <laughs> I didn't mean to stump anyone with that question. No, no, but,
2: but for us, uh, once, number one, there are two things. Once you see that people are performing, quite frankly, the, the, the second, uh, like last time in our uh, parliamentary elections, the people who elected those women were men also. So it's because they saw the performance, and the performance has been a very positive performance. If, for instance, with the 30% of women in the parliament, they had done a miserable job for development, for whatever they are doing. They were not going to increase in the numbers because it was not based upon a quota. It was by election. In villages, I mean, it went from the, the local village all the way to, to provinces and then to government, to national government. So all these people, but, but also there's a, a mind shift that has happened in our country. One that the, the children, whether they are male or female who are raised on the lap of those women who are strong, who are doing what they are supposed to be doing. Once they go and do things, they are not going to think, this is a woman, this is a man. They look at someone who is doing something for their communities. <coughs> so there, there have been, uh, I think, once, uh, number one, there is that will to do so, intention. Once you, you codify it, you put it in, a, in the legal framework, the implementation starts. And once it starts, then it starts also to change a certain mindset. It's also about teaching. It's about teaching because nowadays, uh, as I said before, maybe, uh, I don't know if it's this place or not, but we've uh, institutionalized many of what we call homegrown solutions. Homegrown solutions that are universal in value, but that have been domesticated for wonder consumption. So pe- people can have ownership. So you feel part of that, if you, you follow your culture, you are doing it within the framework of, of a, a, you know, a forum or, or, or a place where you can perform and you feel yourself. That's what we have done. So we have a number of what we call homegrown initiatives that have been also put in the books. If you want to go, there's what they call Rwanda Cooperative Initiative. Now we're being studied by some of the institution, academic institution here in the US. So those are stuff where we put, whether it's about our reconciliation, about our women, about uh, the justice system, the traditional justice system, all those stuff that have made it wonder what it is today. So that's why I'm saying it's a comprehensive program and you can't really separate one from the other. Yeah.
3: We, I like your term performance. I think that's a really critical term because I think that we shouldn't be trying to train people or change a, a situation based on desires, but really on performance and competitiveness. And, and so, you know, partnerships with like our partnerships with TechBridge or, or Project Lead the way it's really about making women competitive because we want to compete and we want people, we want the best people in jobs. And it's, we know that many of the many more of those people may be women and should be women um i'll just share a personal story from my own career i benefited tremendously from the mentorship of about four men who all were about 10 years older than me they all worked at csis when i was here and they all reached in and challenged me to be bigger and better than i ever thought i could and every single one of them had it was married to a woman who was phenomenally talented hugely talented. And I think that they just were very generous with their spirit and their advice in in looking at other women that they think they thought could really advance and grow in their careers. And so I, I just want to always advocate for the, the role that every single person can play by seeing someone who can be better than what they're doing or who can be challenged and taking that time to work with them to help them perform better, to help them deliver better, help them be more competitive. Those are really critical qualities in terms of achieving Gender equality.
0: Thank you, Joanna. Zoe, mm-hmm. uh, a couple of follow-up, uh, follow-on uh, follow questions uh, for you. Vital Voices has been in this space for many, many years, doing absolutely great work. Um, how? Uh, what steps should be taken to overcome some of the barriers? And uh, over lunch, we talked about some of the barriers that exist, uh, and uh, everyone here has mentioned uh, uh, different types of barriers that women can face, whether it's uh, access to capital, whether it's uh, cultural or legal barriers uh, in, in some societies that, are, uh, 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 that women face. Uh, but what do you do? To kind of overcome those barriers and without, uh, as you mentioned, uh, uh, I guess, stepping on the toes of the culture, for lack of a better way to to put to say that, uh, uh, in terms of making sure women are empowered.
1: Well, my, my brain has been going in overload as I've been listening to this conversation. And I, I wanted to touch on one of the things Joanna just said, which is about um, the importance of having role models, mentors, champions is hugely important. And every time we interview really successful women leaders and ask them about how they got to that place, a lot of it has been driven by people that gave them a greater belief than they had in themselves. So that, I think, for me, having people who also inspire inspirational role models. Is a huge piece, um, and then on the sort of the more practical uh, level, we've talked about accessing finance, and I think a challenge for uh, women entrepreneurs is that we know that they, they they face more challenges in accessing finance than men, and we also know that um, if they if it was easier to access finance, they would go into larger, uh, more, uh, broader sectors than they do at the moment. So that's one sort of real great consideration. So if I had a magic wand, it would be that it would be lower those entry entry barriers. Um, a second one is, is, going back to what I said earlier, is about focusing on sort of long-term capacity building is a, is a huge sort of like um, success factor. If, if you want long-term sustainability and really impacting on... Um, positive outcomes for different countries, it's about that, taking that approach, rather than like a a light touch, we'll come and do something with you for a day, we'll bring together 500 micro entrepreneurs for one day of training, and then magic, you know, it all happens, it doesn't happen like that. So uh, it would be shifting that focus. We talked um, earlier about um, a couple of really practical granular things. One of them is things like having flexible work hours, which uh, not enough um, focus is placed on. And then um, safety, getting into the workplace, to and from work, and then within the workplace. And uh, an example that I can share is a fabulous woman from India, Elsa De Silva, who created an app called Safe City, where um, women have the opportunity to report harassment in the, in the streets in India and what has happened is she's partnered with the local uh, police force and local municipalities and so they've been able to sort of highlight those key areas where there is a lot of harassment going on and the local municipalities have improved the street lighting, they've put in more policing, etc., and it's just making for a better environment. So there are a lot of options like that. Another one that we've, we've heard talked about quite a lot is childcare, childcare at work those kinds of things where um, a lot can still be done. And um, a great example I can give is of one of uh, our fabulous participants from a program we did in Japan who has a child care uh, business. And what she's done is she's provided child care centers along railway routes so that women can drop their kids off on their way to work and pick them up on the way back. They don't have to go out of the way to get there. So there's some really sort of granular solutions to how some of those challenges can be overcome.
0: And it's important to think about these granular challenges because they really can stand in the way of a woman who maybe has a couple of kids being able to go and get the job or yeah. start her own company. Yeah. And the Japan example is a, great, yeah. is, is a great one in terms of addressing, okay, yeah. I want maybe I want to start my own business or I want to get a job. Yeah. What do I do with my kids? Well, there's a daycare that yeah. I can drop them off yeah. on my way.
1: And if you think about like childcare in the workplace, I mean, the the statistics that come out of that of sort of like staff retention, improved happiness in the workplace. I mean, that's such a great measure, isn't it? Like, I don't have to worry. I can be here, I can be stress-free knowing that my whole family is cool and I can actually do my job is
0: so important. And the safety aspect that you mentioned, knowing that you can get to and from uh, your place of work in a safe manner. It has yep. to be has to be incredibly critical around the world, around the world, around the world. Um, how should the U.S. government, this is a general question so anyone can uh, take it. How should the U.S. work with multilateral institutions and other governments worldwide uh, to work toward uh, gender equality? Anybody want to give advice to the governments?
2: <laughs> <Advice>?
0: <laughs> to the private sector?
4: Of course. I mean, I think that the U.S. government should be investing more in computer science education um, and STEM education. And I think um, that's just a national imperative for security reasons, for economic reasons, for development reasons. So uh, I think artificial intelligence, like I said, is the future. And it's not just Google's and traditional tech companies. It's banks, it's um, agriculture firms, it's oil and gas companies are becoming tech companies. If you look at the number of S&P 500 companies who I think it's 70% of them identify themselves as technology companies. So I think preparing um, the future workers, students, leaders to compete in that environment. Um, And that has to start with early childhood education, go through the higher ed, and and then the transition, I think supporting the transition to the digital economy with skills training um, and this is more sort of maybe for the certainly in the U.S. this needs to happen but in the developing world as well um, making sure in this transition that everyone is included and positioned to thrive uh, in the new economy.
2: I thank you for what you said because that's what I was going to say
4: because uh, no no in a sense you said
2: it better because for me uh, it was more a wishful thing to continue what the U.S. has done in terms of partnerships because most of the things we do, uh, like my country is big into technology and most of the technological advances that we have promoted, most of them came from the United States. So like I gave you an example, uh, revolutionizing our medicine uh, our country is hilly and uh, we, we just started to use the zip line to deliver blood. That was done through the collaboration with the United States. In our agriculture, you know, uh, one of the the biggest uh, problems we have in terms of uh, uh, financial inclusion and, and then really empowering women, the majority of women who live in rural areas, it's because of sometimes lack of technology. Now there's the e-agriculture that is also being promoted where people can sell their products, they can exchange, they can also do many different things. So it's uh, to increase that uh, partnership. I think that for us that would be the best thing to, uh, if I give uh, any advice to United States.
0: And I should mention that, the U.S. government's WGDP initiative that was launched earlier this year, $50 million uh, this year, has three pillars that focus on women's entrepreneurship, access to capital, and removing legal barriers. So that's an initiative that is aimed at empowering women uh, uh, around the globe. I, I also want to ask about, uh, uh, because we touched on it, but we didn't take a, a, a deep enough dive, but cultural differences, behaviors, discrimination. Uh, those are all barriers to women uh, uh, in the in the gender equality conversation. Uh, can we de- take a deeper dive on the on those issues and how they're best overcome? Because you don't want to be the person that goes into a country to say, hey, "Hey, I'm here to promote gender equality," and yet you do things that step on the culture of a country. And, and Madam Ambassador, you talked about homegrown solutions. What's, homegrown, uh, what's a homegrown solution in Rwanda may be very different in another country. So can we talk about how you deal with that? And I know Vital Voices works in many countries around the world and has to deal with this issue.
2: Uh, one thing I I can tell you is uh, really we can't talk about like a traditional, traditional culture like we used to because internet and, and uh, The exchange, the global exchange and globalization have changed all these things. I can tell you that whatever is done in Hollywood, my people know the next day. So there's a certain harmonization of culture that actually, when people talk about culture, it's to try to hold on to certain things, remnants. But in essence, you are finding people who are, you know, whether you call it good or bad, but who think the same. Sometimes the value system has come there, uh, you know. uh, People more and more don't understand the context people are in because the judgment is always a cross-board because of that kind of exchange of information. Right. that goes even in remotest villages I, I used to, to go to one place in my country uh, before they even got the television they had uh, pictures of Michael Jackson and the music. So that's what that's culture. Mm-hmm. So there is something that has permeated the space, the international space where we talk. Even if I want to hold on to certain cultural practices, it's because I know it will work. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't mean that if you come as a partner, as an American partner, I want to understand your difference and take it into consideration. Or if a king of Jap- or an emperor of Japan comes with their own strong, you know, we do business with them. But each understands, uh, and this is why even dialogue is good, when people come and talk about it. Even our homegrown solutions. And we have, uh, I can give you two, two examples, and i do quickly. Like, Uganda, Uganda, that has helped our country to be rebuilt, is a uh, collective work. But it appears to people, when they go, you know, to clean the environment, to make, to be proud of that, it has underlying value of what we call agachiro. Agachiro is dignity and self-worth. That's it, like you, you say, you know, I'm not going to ask. If you say what is the, the biggest thing all that the Americans find themselves into, maybe you'll see democracy and so on, that underlying value that we call agachiro, the self-worth of an individual is the, the bottom line, self-respect. So that helps us to say we need to clean our area. It doesn't have to be that you are rich, that you got a million dollars to be able to pick up the... The stuff of those. So it's embedded. And it has been used in socio-economic arena also to develop the country. If you don't have a road, there are certain stuff you can do yourself. Mm-hmm. You don't need to, to wait for somebody coming from abroad to come and build a road or a school or, or something. So those are the things, are the value. It's a value system that I think is universal mm-hmm. once you explain it to that. But the hardest was how women were perceived, for instance, traditionally. There were certain jobs they couldn't do. You know, in the time of my mother, she couldn't climb on a ladder. But because of the changes, some of them were driven by reality and the necessity. Now they are doing the jobs of constructions. They are the ones flying our airplane. So some of it has been removed because of reality and what they needed to do. But other things we had to be intentional. To say women are as capable as men and the training and uh, the women in a STEM program and, you know, to be really aware that women were left behind before and to be able to include them in, in, in those kind of program and to do the same. Astrid?
4: Yeah, thanks for the question. I wanted to just cite one example um, that Google has found to be successful um, in India, which is a train-the-trainer model, mm-hmm. to your question about um, how to be respectful of culture that you're coming into and this we did with partners but we um, went to villages it's called the internet sati program um, and uh, had we've now trained 23 million women who then go in a hundred thousand villages and then go take the digital skills and they become the trainers in their community um, and this has been a very very successful program for us
0: mm. But I just want to uh, clarify on the question that I asked about culture. I was thinking more of in places where there are legal restrictions against right. women right. owning land, mm-hmm. um, or or that type of thing. Okay. How do you get
1: beyond those
0: kinds of barriers? Zoe, well, <laughs> actually,
1: we don't really uh, work focus on that in in our our work in the economic empowerment space at Vital Voices, so I don't feel like I'm the best person to answer that. (laughs) However, one of the things that um, I do think is important is uh, in the work that we do is to even, um, in terms of growing the leadership abilities of women entrepreneurs, Mm -hmm. often we talk about those barriers that they face, and I think part of the success, of success, could be sort of building the capacity of women to become advocates for change so mm-hmm. that they join their local business women's associations and they add their voice to get that legislation changed. So that's one mm-hmm. way that we have done it in a kind of indirect way, but mm-hmm. I can't give you any other practical solutions there.
0: Thank you all for what's been a truly enlightening conversation, at least for me. I hope it has been for you, Uh, but we really appreciate you being here, and we appreciate uh, Chevron for focusing on all of the SDGs through uh, this forum. So thanks so much, and have a great day, everyone. Subscribe to the Smart Women, Smart Power podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to good content. Be sure to follow us on Twitter, at Smart Women, and I'm at Beverly Kirk.